Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of VLGA Connect and the Governance Update which is sponsored by the team at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers and no you're not mistaken we're a little bit later this week than normal we recorded this late on Friday uh, why was that again Stephen? Well there were two reasons Chris I thought that the reason was because it was our attempt to dupe government into a false sense of security and think that they were safe to release all manner of contentious announcements. <laughs> Which, of course, they didn't. <laughs> no, there's been nothing. Oh, there's been lots, but nothing really affecting the government that we care to talk about. What do you uh, think the reason is? I think the reason is because uh, John Lloyd Fillingham, who edits the program for us, has become in such high demand. People have seen this program and they've thought, I've got to have him for my video project. And he's just been so busy this week that he couldn't get to us until late. So there you go. Good for him. Making us look remotely good, Chris. Good on him. <laughs> Absolutely. And and look, we, we jest about waiting for those government announcements, but we are still waiting to hear about the appointment of a monitor at Horsham. There was an announcement a few weeks ago that there would be one. As far as I'm aware, we don't yet know that there is one. No. Um, as of a few minutes ago, there hadn't been an announcement, Chris. So we're hoping there's one soon. All right, let's get into the news. And uh, we've got a bit of a follow up from last week. Uh, once again, lots of discussion about uh, our, our attempts to try and define definitively which council names in Victoria have Indigenous origins. Are we any closer to having that Sorry, definitive I'm confused. list? Define definitively. Yes, is yes, that yes. A tautology? <laughs> yes, it is, probably. <laughs> Can I start with, a, um, with an erratum? And in fact, right. it has to be accompanied by a grovelling apology because Claire Keenan, CEO at Moira, um, made contact uh, during the week and said, oh, by the way, um, she's got pretty good evidence that Moira is in fact a, uh, a Yorta Yorta language name. Oh, who would have thought? Well, yeah, <laughs> no, you know where that's going because you said you... Um, as you come from Cobram originally, know that part of the country pretty well and said, and you said to me you thought it was, and I said, no, it's Irish. The internet told me so. <laughs> you did. I'm, I'm reminded of um, an old colleague in my radio days who used to uh, set up funny radio calls and one of his regular callers was an Irish-accented lady named Moira Shire. <laughs> Well, there you go. Who knew that was coming? Uh, the other thing, though, Chris, was um, in amongst that bit of research, it is also possible that Loddon uh, is a Yorta Yorta language name, and we are pursuing both of those to see if we can um, raise our number that now appears to be at least 28 um, even further. I, f I fear we may, we may never actually land this uh, Steve, but we'll keep we'll keep trying. I had some terrific feedback. Sorry, you were just going to say something. Oh no, I was just going to say, and um, isn't that good that that we do and we keep the topic live about um, you know the importance of Aboriginal place names? Absolutely. 
Uh, I had some feedback from Kerry Wilson, who listened to our program last uh, week. Uh, I think listens fairly regularly. Uh, Kerry is a co-founder of the campaign Put Her Name On It, you might have seen some coverage of in recent times, which is advocating for greater representation and recognition of women in public place naming and commemoration. And she told me that she'd started reviewing the names of Victorian councils, hadn't quite got around to finishing it until she heard our uh, conversation last week and that's prompted her to complete her piece of work and she gave me some really interesting stats you ready for this Kerry said the stats are in yeah that she does say the stats are in and she's saying that 37 uh, percent are aboriginal language 30 percent are named after men 29 percent are mainly english towns and rivers and only four percent uh come from women so that certainly supports the the campaign and the movement that she's behind. And I think Ruth McGowan, a friend of the program, is uh, is involved in that campaign, or certainly a good supporter of it as well, that put her name on it campaign. Um, she's doing another bit of work that she's uh, offered to share with me when it's done, and you might hear more about that either on this program or on the Local Government News Roundup in the not-too-distant future. That's fabulous, Chris, and thanks to Kerry for that. Yes, thank you, Kerry. Great to know that you're listening. All right, we'll, we'll park that for the moment, but I suspect we might get some more feedback and we'll have to come back to it. A few things that have happened this week, Steve, that caught my eye, interested as always to get your thoughts. At Darabin, we don't have a CEO appointment yet that I'm aware of, but we have had an appointment of a council conduct officer. The council had a special council meeting this week and kudos for calling it a special council meeting. None of these unscheduled council meetings that become scheduled, Chris. Correct. Yes. No, we've been there. I won't go there again. No. Um, and so they considered appointing an external party as the council of conduct uh, officer. And I said to you, Steve, have you heard of this happening at other councils in the past? Because generally, they come from within, don't they? They they do. And I'd heard councils that had contemplated the idea of recruiting. Um, to that role externally, but I wasn't aware of any that had actually gone through that. The thing it reminded me of, Chris, is that when the original conduct panel regime was established, I don't know, five or six years ago, local government Victoria consulted rather extensively um, with the sector. And one of the, and this, sorry, this was in the establishment of a principal councillor conduct officer. And I'm pretty sure at the time that one of the reasons for, there were a couple of reasons for the establishment of that principal role in at local government Victoria. Yeah. One being to basically triage uh, the conduct matters to see if it was more appropriate that they be dealt with internally. The other was there was an extraordinary level of bullying directed at the council staff member who was holding that conduct officer role, typically from the councillors involved in conduct matters. And, you know, that role, even though it was really just a post box, um, became a pressure point. And I suspect that, you know, in that sense, it's not a bad thing to be appointing externally because really it takes that it takes that tension out of the role. Yeah. So in this case, uh, they've the, they've appointed a suitably qualified person from outside the organisation, someone who I think is a lawyer, actually, by the name of Megan Lawton. Megan, if you happen to be listening, I've just sent you a connection request on LinkedIn. It'd be good to know you. So uh, Megan's the new Councillor Conduct Officer at the City of Darriman. Well, hopefully, um, Megan has a quiet time in the role. 
Yes, yes, that's a good thought, uh, and I echo and support that. All right, so um, that was one thing I saw. Another thing, I did take some time out to watch part of the meeting of Hepburn Shire Council during the week. I think it was Tuesday night. Yeah, I know. Get a life, they say. But uh, this was uh, this was really interesting because this is this long-running uh, Rex Theatre saga where you might recall we've talked about this at least once in the past. Uh, the council purchased the building some time back, uh, has spent a considerable amount of money uh, refurbishing uh, for a range of reasons that stopped um, and now the uh, the intention is to sell the building. It's been quite contentious locally. There were a lot of very vocal people in the uh, in the meeting. I thought the mayor and the councillors did very well to keep their composure in the face of uh, what was some pretty um, raucous and loud interjecting that was going on. But ultimately, uh, and that's just a, a sign of the, the the depth of feeling mm. about the issue. But they've decided to proceed with that sale, Steve. Well, and you're right, Chris, it is long-standing and really the choice between the choice confronting the council was to either like cauterise the loss, stop it now and yeah. sell the building or to continue on knowing that, look, there would be a significant cost to the community, but there would be an art value and, um, yeah, and maybe the cost might be more than expected because of, you know, changes in providers, um, you know, need for additional permits, all of those um those costs that go with the building so yeah. they've uh, fallen on the size side of cauterizing the loss and um and getting out it must be said though some differences of opinion within the council there was a um a motion put forward to delay the process by i think four months certainly out to about november which didn't get up the ultimate recommendation of the officers was adopted with some changes, and I'll talk about that just very briefly in a second, um, and it was voted 4-3 and we had divisions, etc., to proceed with the Mayor saying, and I quote from an ABC report, we need to move forward. This has been a very vexed and troublesome project over many years. Chris, the other thing that's been uh, bubbling away um, in regard to this particular topic is that the uh, local government inspector um, commenced investigations. I'm thinking 18 months or two years ago um, into the steps taken by the council and the council administration in relation to the Rex Theatre. It's a long-awaited report and uh, and still hasn't um, seen the light of day. No, that's that's true. And they added into the uh, the the motion or the resolution uh, a, a word of disappointment that it's taken so long and calling on. The inspectorate and the the minister to do something about having that finalised and brought along as soon as possible. The other thing they added into that uh, resolution was to receive a further report before a contract of sale is executed. So this will come back into yeah. into the chamber. And just on your point, uh, Steve, about the inspectorate um, matter, um, it, it should be noted that the council conducted an an audit. And as a result of that, referred it off, self-reported to IBAC, who, who referred it then to the inspector, and that's how that. Right. Sorry, uh, I'd, I'd lost, I'd lost that bit of detail, Chris. And and look, let's be, let's be clear. If the inspectorate commences um, the investigations towards a report like this, usually its intention is to release a report. Yeah. So if the report hasn't been released, I can only imagine the inspector has some very good reasons. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. Um, fair point. All right, so that's uh, Hepburn Shire, and uh, as we say, a long-running issue that has reached another milestone this week. 
Steve, I know this one caught your eye. This is, we're just going to briefly go interstate where in Redlands, the whole situation there around the mayor is still swirling around. They had um, three petitions, I think, come to their meeting this week, none of which the council has the power to actually act on. One calling for the mayor to be dismissed, one calling for the mayor to resign, another calling for the government to uh, install an administrator. So this one's not going away. Uh, listeners will recall this is the mayor that was involved in a traffic incident a few weeks ago and has subsequently, subsequently been charged with driving while under the influence. We, we think uh, the allegation is about three times over the limit. Yeah, that's, that is the allegation, Chris, and props to Kelly Nealon and the team at Inside Local Government where we uh, source this story. Um, I think from memory, the situation here was that there was a notice of motion, Chris, yeah, that, that's another element to it, Steve. You're right. So there was a there was a notice of motion that didn't get onto the agenda papers. Yeah, and I mean, in some ways, that's quite heartening because most councils have a local law that says um, that a notice of motion has to be, you know, get past the CEO and you know not be abusive or not be um, illegal. This one didn't get onto the papers because it wasn't within the power of the council to move a motion of no confidence against the mayor. Yeah, um, from what from what I can understand, uh, and the council put out its own statement about this, they'd had legal advice about the notice of motion and, and had determined that it wasn't properly made and therefore could not go onto the agenda. But you're right to point out that inside local government have, have uh, delved a bit deeper into this and provided some additional insights, and we'll put the link to that story up, the one that's headed no confidence in no confidence motion. There's uh, another one that's come into the public realm this week, uh, centering on the Minister for Planning and Surf Coast Shire, um, which our friend Tony Rannick at Hunt and Hunt has had a look at and given you a little bit of insight into whether this has got some potential relevance for the sector more broadly. Tony Rannick is as bad as you, Chris. Because while you're spending your time watching council meetings, he's spending his time looking at random actions that are going up to the Supreme Court. How dare he be interested know, who in, the field in, in the field what's in which he, he works? Goodness me. What's he doing there? We have talked about this before, Chris. It was uh, reported in The Age a few weeks ago um, that the developer would be um, launching this matter in the Supreme Court. What we know now is that there are three respondents um, right. The defendants, I should say, being the Minister for Planning, um, the Surf Coast Shire and the Minister for Local Government. But fundamentally, um, it says that the decision of the Minister was affected by bias. This is what the uh, the applicants are saying. They're saying that uh, in September 2018, the Premier issued a media release entitled Stopping Developers Ruining Ballerine and the Surf Coast. Yep. On the 30th of September, so three days later... The Minister for Planning issued a press release saying fixing Matthew Guy's mess in Spring Creek. I, do, I remember that. Yeah. There, there you go. The plaintiff quotes extracts from these media releases purportedly evidencing bias. I love purportedly. Great word. Yeah. And there are also extracts from interviews and articles with quotes from the Premier. So really, and I know Tony's uh, talked pretty extensively about this, this is a watching uh, brief for all of us, but... Uh, so no matter the, the way that this case um, falls, um, a salutary reminder for anyone in a, um, holding a statutory role to be really careful about public commentary and making sure that there is not only an absence of bias, but the um, impression of an absence of bias too.
Does this bias uh, element call to mind? Uh, it, it, what am I trying to say? Is this another one for the VLGA Winky Poppers team? It could be. I think we'll put uh, um, possibly on the halfback flank at the moment, but if it's significant, it could move to centre half forward. It could. It could. <laughs> All right. So, so this one, I think, is uh, it, it's we're just it's just being flagged as coming up, but it, it's some way off yet, or or are we likely to hear more about this sooner? Oh, it's a matter in the Supreme Court, Chris. We could be talking if if a councillor conduct matter takes the best part of a year to uh, to be finalised. I would have thought the Supreme Court doesn't happen that quickly either. So read anything from six to eighteen months, presumably. All right, we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure more to the point, Tony will keep an eye on it and uh, let us know when there's more to report. And the best thing is we don't have to then, Chris. That's terrific news. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Best of both worlds. Um, Let's uh, pass on some kudos to 24 councils, no less, around the state who've banded together to seek a planning scheme amendment, which is uh, looking to progress us towards a zero carbon uh, environment and enshrine some more sustainable development or better sustainable development principles in the planning system. This is a piece of work done by the CASB councils and the Municipal Association of Victoria, and it's now with the Minister for Planning. So yeah, Casby, the Council Alliance for the Sustain for a Sustainable Built Environment, and I think it's really interesting, Chris, because it moves away from um, sort of specific locally based planning controls to um, a principles approach in relation to good design and environmentally sustainable design, and it would seem that a planning scheme is the place uh, to put that. So watch that with interest. I note that those 24 councils acting as one represent over half of the population and the planning activity that happens in the state of Victoria. So it's pretty significant. Yeah, and some regional cities. I haven't got them all, but uh, Greater Bendigo, Warrnambool um, in amongst them. And uh, and quite a few metros. Absolutely. So, oh, and including Strathbogie Shire. So uh, a range of councils involved in this. All right, we'll watch that one with interest and uh, wait to hear whether there's any sort of reaction that we can report from the Minister for Planning at this early stage. Um, just one thing to watch on this, Chris, maybe some of the debate will be around that purported tension, because I wanted to say purported again, yeah. between um, environmentally sustainable um, building and the cost of building. And it's a really good one to kind of look into the detail because I think... Um, my understanding is the evidence would say that environmentally sustainable buildings shouldn't actually cost that much more. Uh, take your word for that, Steve, and we'll keep an eye on all of that. Now, there's two interstate things I wanted to run by you that have come out uh, this week that, that I think are really interesting. One out of the Gold Coast, where the Mayor Tom Tate there has been found to have committed misconduct by interfering with disciplinary proceedings. This was a Council of Conduct tribunal finding that's been reported by the ABC this week, and Mayor Tate has uh, been fined for two uh, incidents. One's a conflict of interest matter, one's this disciplinary proceeding interference matter, um, but he is uh, apparently seeking uh, the result to be reviewed or a stay on it being applied while a review happens. There's a bit of a, there's another um, VLGA Winky Poppers leak there, Chris. Yes. And you possibly don't know this, that CEO, no. uh, CEO Dale Dixon, after he played for Melbourne, actually played for the Brisbane Bears while they wore the Winky Poppers logo. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> I didn't no, know. Be that as it may, there's just a bit of football trivia for you. Um, 
that was really significant that um, the CEO had launched a disciplinary proceeding against the chief of staff to the mayor, Tom Tate. And there has been evidence adduced that the mayor sought to, uh, well, in fact, not sought to, did instruct the CEO to cease such action. And that has caused a bit of a problem, which again is a bit of a salutary warning around um, giving direction where one shouldn't give direction. Yeah, he did. He did that in writing. And my reading between the lines is there are certain powers that the mayor in Queensland must have in terms of being able to provide direction. But the tribunal in this case is saying it's it's overstepped whatever those powers are. This is going back seven years, nearly, Steve, back to December 2015. And the other matter was around failing to declare a conflict of interest during a council meeting in 2017. So I, I suspect that's not the last we'll hear of this, given Councillor Tate's response to the outcome. No, and I'm not sort of, um, I make no comment other than to say, yes, um, he purportedly, well, did appear to have given that instruction in writing, but were an elected official to give such an instruction in writing and the appropriate, the relevant administrative officer or CEO to make a, what's the word, contemporaneous diary note that such a, a, an instruction had been given verbally, I would have thought a contemporaneous diary note would be still pretty strong evidence in a case mm. like this. Mm. Um, so one shouldn't be lulled into a sense of security just because the instruction wasn't given in writing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, fair point. Uh, the other one that caught my eyes out of South Australia, where a council CEO has been found by the state's ombudsman to have behaved in a way that did not uh, meet standards of honesty, integrity, or uh, acting ethically when he created and backdated a letter after in the council chamber telling the mayor that that letter had been sent in response to a direct question. And he says he, he panicked in this particular circumstance. Chris, this is one of those ones where you look at the report and say, how could that possibly happen? I wouldn't possibly do that. And it's a pretty extreme example. The, um, the response had been given to the council and then retrospectively evidence was created to support the response that had been given to the council. Fine, we all get that. That shouldn't have happened. It prompted me to, I must admit, I had a bit of, um, not remorse, but um, what's the word? Felt a bit guilty because I was thinking, hmm, backdating of documents, what might that look like? Have you ever backdated documents, Steve? I don't know that I've backdated any. I can't say I haven't. But I would say without doubt, if a letter, for example, had sat around for a couple of days and it wasn't particularly significant, the date on the letter, um, I reckon I've allowed correspondence to go out that might be a day or two out. And the reminder for me reading about this, Chris, was just the hard and fast rule of um, don't do it. I, I think they, they are two very different circumstances, though, aren't they? In you know, in, in fairness, you might have a letter kick around a desk or through a, through a system for a couple of days and it's got a, an older date on it. Um, but in this case, the situation was, let's be clear, and this is all in the public domain, he's admitted this to the Ombudsman. The Mayor asked him in a council meeting, had he sent a particular letter? He said yes. He went back to his office and says he realised then that it hadn't been done and he panicked, created the letter, backdated the letter, and then gave that to the mayor as evidence that he'd done it. That's, oh. a, that's a whole different level of... Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my point is, though, that um, carelessness in regard to the dates on letters or other legal documents 
if done routinely, can easily slide into being misleading because there might be that document where the date actually really matters. So the best thing to do is to be really rigorous and hard and fast about the date that's put on documents. Yeah, good advice because that leads to, I think, the the definition of the slippery slope, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I don't know what's happened there because the uh, the council was reported to have, this was all in the Adelaide Advertiser this week, was reported to have had legal advice on its options once it had received that ombudsman's report. A whole range of potential options there, including that CEO potentially losing their job. Uh, I haven't heard the upshot of that, but I understand they were looking at that uh, this week. Uh, let's bring it back to a couple of classified notes. Uh, there's some developments at CEO level in uh, Victoria this week, Steve. You know we like to keep our finger on the pulse here. Uh, there's good news and bad news in a way. Uh, at Ganawara, Tom O'Reilly there won't be uh, returning as CEO at the end of his contract. The council has resolved this week to proceed to a recruitment process to, uh, to, to appoint a new CEO. Yeah, so um, as councils are able to do at the end of a contract period of a CEO. So um, Gatawara has made that determination and, and, uh, and yeah, we'll wish Tom well as he uh, sees out his term. Of course, he did, uh, he did sweep the pool a bit at the uh, LG Pro Awards yes. recently and some terrific work done at Gatawara. Absolutely. Yeah, we do wish uh, Tom all the best. I, I will note that the, dec- the decision was made in confidence but released, the resolution was released afterwards and there was a division called. It, it wasn't the unanimous decision of the council. It's one of those situations where there were some differing uh, points of view on how to proceed. So that's the current state of play at Ganawara. Uh, happier news at Alpine, where uh, the director of assets there, Will Jeremy, has been appointed uh, last week at about this time, as we record, at a special council meeting as the CEO at Alpine Shire. Congratulations to Will. I think we chided the Alpine Shire for the timing of their meeting, Chris, We'd, so hopefully yeah. they won't do that again. But yeah, congratulations to Will. What a lovely part of the state. Absolutely. All right, Steve, that, I'm at the end of my list for this week. Anything left on yours? No, I think I'm done, Chris. Well, in that case, we can wrap it up and just say thank you once again to Tony Ranick and the team at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers for sponsoring uh, this program, which is going from strength to strength on YouTube and on podcasts. Why is this happening, Steve? I don't know. It's one of those mysteries of life. We'll just keep wondering, Chris, and keep doing it. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. Will do. Steve Cooper is the Chief of Staff of the VLGA. That's your governance update from VLGA Connect, albeit a little late this week. I hope it's been worth the wait, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.